Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Business Leader Insights brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Perplex Marketing. Uh, Business Leader, if you don't know, is the UK's leading B2B media platform and has a print magazine, powerful events network and a website that is updated daily with news and insight. Um, just before I start as well, I'd like to say please do follow Business Leader on Twitter and LinkedIn if you don't currently and you can always find us at www businessleader.co.uk. So let's uh, crack on. Hi, Joel. Welcome to uh, Business Leader Insight. How are you today? I'm very well. Good. Um, good morning, Ali. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for joining good. us. Fantastic. No, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for, for giving me the opportunity to, to share with you and your audience today. Brilliant. Thank you. So we'll start, Joel, by if you could just give a, a short kind of background to your early life and working career. Yeah, so I, I started out um, in in a many in a similar circumstance to many young people out here in in, in the community local communities um, in a city community working um, class family background. Um, when I left school, I got a job working in a factory um, peeling stickers of hangers um, on a conveyor line. <laughs> I think I was size eighteen <laughs> if I remember correctly, um, and then after that kind of college, uh, didn't go to university, went straight into the world of work. Um, and I think within five years of getting into work by the age of about 21, um, I'd kind of got this bug for wanting to help other people through business. It was as simple as that for me. Um, I saw entrepreneurship as a vehicle to um, support a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. Um, so I went into the youth service as an employment mentor started training corporate staff from um, professional services to the work of young people in communities through interview skills, CV workshops, et cetera. Um, and then I decided I wanted to do all of that for myself. Um, so then I jumped into entrepreneurship full-time at the age of 24, um, set up recruitment agencies, national training organizations, and then that then morphed into entrepreneurship and then that morphed into financial lending so I set up a financial lending firm and then now into fintech um, for the last the last two or three years. So it's been a bit of a kind of evolution journey rather than a defined, this is where I want to go. It was more, I've got a purpose and I've got a vision and I, I want to help other people, other people in business. But um, how I got there has just been a bit of a, a winding road. <laughs> no, thanks that, Joel. And, and uh, it was the love of technology that, that led you to create your, your current uh, business GFA exchange. Could you just give a rundown of your history in the, in the sort of the fintech space specifically and what inspired the idea that is GFA? Well, back in 2012, um, I was doing a lot of volunteering and unsung paid work in helping entrepreneurs across the UK, um, creating, you know, leadership training for entrepreneurs and, and, and things like that. Um, and then we had an opportunity um, with the team that I was working with on that to um, work with the government on what was the beginning of the startup loans program. Yeah. Um, and so literally the three of us in a bar, um, said, let's create a new business to apply for one of these contracts that the government was giving. Um, and we used our collective experience. We got that contract and it turned out to be a multi-million pound contract over five years. So we went from a team of three to a team of nine in about 12 months. We funded this, the launch of about 700 businesses across the UK. Um, and had a default rate that was four times lower than the national average. So we realized that we can build a business that can add significant value to, to other businesses, but 
we also realized that our costs were going too high because we were recruiting so much staff so quickly. You know, we were funding like 20, 25 businesses a month at one point. So we were realizing that our cost level was going up as quick as our profit was, um, or at least our revenue was. So um, I made the decision to tackle that issue. Whereas my co-founders decided just to continue with the business and the business is still going. It's fantastic. You know, I love that team and there's been no animosity at all between us. But I knew that I wanted to solve this issue of why is it that we're finding it difficult to find the best businesses and can technology play a part in that? So um, 2016, walked away from the business, um, reinvested in, in what was the beginnings of GFA Exchange. Um, and so what we now do is benchmark, rate and monitor the performance of businesses um, on behalf of financial services firms. Um, so we monitor their portfolios and that's where my love for technology came. It was an enabler to achieve a bigger goal rather than the technology in itself. Uh, brilliant. Thanks, Joe. It, it's, it's often the way, isn't it? A, a good business idea is, is formed over a pint or two. So um, yeah, like that, that part of the story. Or, or three or four. <laughs> <laughs> and then you wake up and wonder if it is actually a good idea. But um, yeah, yeah no, that, uh, but this one certainly was. And um, just in terms of uh, the current climate um, and COVID-19, how, how have you adapted GFA as a business? Well, what's been interesting for us is that, um, you know, after we, we, we went on to raise investment ourselves and built, our, our, our built a new team, et cetera. Um, um, we found that our customer market was shifting. COVID had come in and challenged our existing business model. Um, and we realized that, and I realized that we had enough experience in terms of business support and enterprise development that could be combined with the technology to add more value to businesses in this period. So what we've done is effectively added in much more of a consultative approach with our fintech technology to support those who are helping other businesses. And that's opened up the types of markets that we can go into because we only monitor business performance that can work across any sector. So rather than focus on financial services alone, we've started to have conversations with other sectors and we're beginning to get traction in that area, even through this period. So for us, it's just been about really being true to our values in terms of what we want to do as a business, in terms of helping other businesses to grow, but at the same time, really looking at our past expertise as well as our current expertise and using that combination to add greater value to a wider market. Um, and, and it's beginning to work for us. No, thanks, Joel. Um, and just more, more widely, how, how is the UK fintech sector, which is a, a growing and booming sector, uh, being impacted by, by this uh, current situation? I think the fintech industry overall has been hit, but is the best sector to lead some of the transformational change that will come out of COVID. Um, I mean, historically, even pre-COVID, investment into fintech firms was falling month by month. I think according to a source I was looking at the other day, um, it was falling for eight months straight, you know, in terms of VC-backed deals into fintech. So there's been a pattern of less investment into fintech pre-COVID. COVID has come in and it's then hit in the investor approach to investing into fintechs rather than trying to invest in new ideas that could be transformational. And while there are still investors investing, most investors have looked to just double down on their existing portfolio and really focusing on strengthening their existing investments. So you've got a declining cycle of investment. You've got investors now investing less because of COVID. And then you've got less usage 
because you've got customers who are not able to come out of their house to spend. <laughs> and so the fintech apps and the solutions that would aid that, there's less usage on a lot of those apps as well. So you again got this other cycle of not enough people using it, not enough investment, there's a declining cycle. So the fintech industry is going for a little bit of a cycle. That being said, when we look at digital transformation, blockchain, digital payments, collaborative tools, fintech can play a huge part in those areas. So on the back of COVID, I can see fintech beginning to rise again in terms of providing support and solutions that can aid the financial services sector even pre-COVID, but it's about being very cute about what those things are. So I think fintechs really need to think about their cash flow at the moment, really focus on their balance sheet and making sure they've got enough money you know, in the business, but also think about the talent pools that they have. Um, you know, diversity in tech has always been a long, a long issue, um, but I believe that now more than ever before, diversity within fintech will allow these fintechs to provide even much more transformational change with the range of ideas and thoughts that come from diversity. Um, so I think, you know, there's there's a change within the industry, but I think right now, it's still a case of needing to make sure that um, you really look at what cash you've got and really plan and be prepared and then can execute on the back of back of the COVID, um, whole COVID period. No, thanks, um, Joel. You just touched on sort of cash flow and, and finance then with, you, with your background in this space i mean do you believe that the government has done enough with its covid19 relief packages for companies no is the honest answer um i think the investment that they've put in has been fantastic but my worry is that it's been investment with not enough intelligence on the businesses out there who they are now providing this funding for and my worry is that once this investment really gets embedded through lending to businesses who are struggling at the moment, yes, you're going to try and back the winners through the investment decisions. You know, the financial lenders who have received these funds will always try and find the best businesses to lend to. But my worry is, is that there's going to be um, more bad debt risk, more risk of default, because a lot of those businesses who are seeking lending have a lot more challenges than before, and the volume is higher. Mm. And lenders have to lend banks have to lend, that's their business. So with the increased volume, with the increased challenges um, and a lack and a, and a reduced level of intelligence about those businesses, I really think there's going to be a fallout at some point, and that's my worry. I would have preferred if the funder was being provided with deeper insight and deeper intelligence. Now, one could say I'm slightly biased because that's the space that we're in, that's what we do. But what we've seen historically even in my own career, has been that um, without having better intelligence about the people you're lending to or supporting, it's difficult to really be able to give a clear prediction on the future and the performance and therefore your ability to get your return. Um, and I think the wave of funding that's come in has been useful, but I'm just worried that it's not been given with the right package of holistic support for the businesses that it's being provided for. In the past, you, you, you've spoken about how success is often determined by the lessons you learn from your disadvantages. Um, do you have any advice for how business leaders can embrace this, this difficult time and how they overcome obstacles? I think with businesses now, it's important to remember why you started in business and what made you successful to this point. I think 
there's there's a level of consistency that businesses really need to focus in on um even in this mix of transformational change that they have to go through um so i would you know if if, if you if you allow me to i would think of it as a as an acronym um and i would use the word cope as an acronym so i think one is the consistency you know what are the things that you did well pre-covid what are you doing well through covid and what are the things that you can build upon post-covid because the challenges that you're going through now are challenges that have hit you but you were still successful before you came in the fact that your business was still alive pre-covid means you were being successful so what made you successful what were the values that you had what's the models or services or the value provided to your customers that they resonated with so be consistent with those things i think the second thing though is being open to change quite often we have a very fixed mindset in business because we know what works so why change it but i think in this this day and age and in this period it's completely shown us that we need to think outside the box we need to be more agile or flexible than ever before so if you're feeling disadvantaged think about areas where you can be open to change is it the the systems and processes that you're using is it about the the your model going to market is it about the way you you um, market yourself as a business what are the things that might need to change and being open to that i think then that then leads to being prepared um so having a plan is always important but having a flexible a flexible plan is even better um but being prepared for those changes is going to be super important um but more importantly than all all those three is the ability to execute no point having plans if you're not doing something about it so it's about taking those actions and putting in milestones where you're measuring um the actions that you're taking and then being open again to making changes based on the results of that that, that assessment so coping for me as an acronym is about making sure you're doing what you do well being open to change keep planning keep executing and keeping that cycle going it's that reiteration that good old-fashioned lean startup model i guess to a degree that it's important just to keep reiterating keep trying because if you stay fixed that's when you won't survive uh, thanks joel and um, um, you know when we don't know when but when this this pandemic does start to finally subside and we go back to to what we would consider a relative normal. I mean, do you do you think businesses will stay in the change that they're, they're currently in, or do you think it will go back to to operating it how they always have? No, I I think I think this I think COVID has has pressed the reset button um, across economies, across businesses, across sectors, um, across homes. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's been a reset button for all. Um, so I don't think things will be as they were. Um, but I think some of the fundamental changes will come in terms of how companies um, manage their talent and manage their people. Um, you know, remote work, remote working was there before COVID. It's only been accelerated for some organisations because they've got no choice. So I think it's, it's whether or not organisations who have now had to make those changes can now see the benefits of it, both on their bottom line, but also in terms of productivity. And then I believe those two things will give them the confidence to continue with um, strong and effective homeworking practices. So I think that's one, one area. I think in terms of business models is the other. If nothing else, COVID has taught us that our business models don't have to be the same business models forever. So innovation is going to be key for all organizations, I believe, in terms of looking at what they can do even better than before, what changes they can make, where new market opportunities are, how they need to change in order to um realize the potential of those opportunities and i think the third thing is income i think diversifying your income stream is going to be more important than ever before 
you know, there's the old adage that you should never have one income stream. I think in every business, you should not have one income stream. Um, it's got to be important to look at how you can make more money, how you can repurpose what you do in different ways, how you can generate new content that gives you access to new markets, all about new income streams, just to give you a stronger foundation underneath the business, rather than solely relying on one model, one income in one way forever. Everything's changed. Now, thanks. Yeah, some interesting insight there, Joel. And also, I just wanted to um, end on the concept of, of disruption. Um, and what, what would you say, you know, what, how would you describe a disruptor? What, 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 what in your view, is, is, is that concept? I believe a disruptor is someone who takes a beginner mentality within an industry. So, you know, even within fintech, there are many great people who have been involved in the fintech space even longer than I, who are great experts of what they do. But that doesn't mean to say they'll be the experts forever. And I think disruptors are the ones who will see what's going on and come in with a beginner mentality. They will look at what norm is and they will look at ways of trying to disrupt that for the better, not necessarily disrupt it to break it all down, but to add value to it. That's certainly the mentality that we've taken in our business where we've looked at this financial industry and said, okay, what is it that we can do to add to it rather than try and break it up? You know, traditional fintechs will try and take away all the business to a degree or try and disrupt it and do it in new ways. And where that's needed, that's absolutely fantastic. But we've taken the view that, well, we've got expertise that we can bring to the industry, disrupt it, but positively, because we know these large organizations, they have the ecosystem, the networks, the credibility, the leverage, et cetera. So it just depends on how you view it um, as a fintech. But I think for businesses across the piece in any sector, have that beginner mentality and don't feel vulnerable or feel, um, you know, a sense of imposter syndrome. If you're not an expert, I think being childlike almost with your view on an area, that's fantastic. You know, remember when we were in school and we wanted to be an astronaut or a nurse or a, or a pilot or whatever. I think we lose that as we become adults. It get, almost gets beaten out of us. But that kind of childlike innocence almost with that mentality as a disruptor, that's when real transformational change happens. So just keep being a beginner, um, but being very confident about what you bring to the table as well. No, thanks, Joel. I mean, that, that they were my questions and, I, and that, that was really uh, interesting. So, so thank you for that, Joel. Just, yeah, I've got some, some very interesting uh, questions uh, have come in. And you kind of touched on this earlier, but since many companies are relying <coughs> on working from home, do you think post-COVID uh, many companies uh, will stay this way now? Yeah, again, um, as, as I say, I don't think many companies will stay this way. Um, I do think, though, that there's going to be a, a deeper appreciation of home and work-life balance um, more than ever before. And I think employers will need to take on board the personal home lives of their employees more than ever before. And that's going to have an impact on the working practices of organisations. Um, but for those business owners themselves, um, you know, I think the flexibility of working from home can allow them to be more agile than some of their competitors um, if they're putting in the right practices and practices at home um, and, and seeing home working as home working, you know, and having that kind of discipline around, you know, if it's nine to five, nine to three, whatever your work times are, having that discipline in, taking the right breaks, etc. But yeah, I think generally, um, I don't think companies got to stay this way. I think it's changed. I think the change has started and will remain. Thanks, Joel. Question uh, from uh, Jim, which is an interesting one. Do you think that with people now having more time on their hands, 
Will we see a boom of startups once the lockdown is over? <laughs> That's a fantastic question. Um, yes, I think we will. Um, I think this period has certainly highlighted um, areas of change and areas of transformation. And the smarter startups were the ones who would be creating businesses to solve the issues that they're seeing now. Um, and then those who historically um, have been in business, they may want to create new startup, even kind of spin-offs of their existing business to meet some of the challenges where they can add in their own expertise on top. So yes, I do think we will see a boom, but you know, the, the analytical side of me also says how many of those startups will be here in three years time. Mm. Um, so I think we've got a responsibility, particularly as a government, but as a UK business community to help other businesses to make sure that the sustainability is built in and the strength and the foundations are right um, in these startups rather than having a whole load of startups who are no longer here because the contribution of startups that adds value. Uh, friends. And um, this is yeah, good, good one as well um, from Sam. What's the best advice you were ever given when starting out? Gosh, um, there's been loads of kind of bits and pieces over the years at different points. But I think the one thing that's always remained for me was um, never forget where you come from, but know where you're going. Um, and that's that's always stuck with me, both from a personal view and a business point of view. Um, you know, but from a core business perspective, make sure you're validating your proposition has always been a key one. Um, just because you've got a great idea and a great solution doesn't mean that someone else thinks the same. So make sure you're validating your solution with businesses who actually want it and are willing to pay for it. And make sure you validate that before you put heavy investment into building out this business. Um, and I suppose the final one um, is the old adage of cash is king. Um, yeah, I, absolutely. But I think, you know, having greater intelligence is even is just as important in this day and age as well. Thanks, Joel. Um, and the, yeah, I, I like this one um, from Emma. Who would you consider to be a good role model with how they have handled uh, the, the COVID-19 crisis and, and their business? Because there's been some good and bad examples, isn't there? Yeah, I was just thinking of all the bad ones just instantly came to <laughs> mind, <laughs> which wasn't a nice thing to think, but uh, um, a good role model. Um, Wow, that's a really interesting question again. To be honest with you, it'd be unfair to pick at any one organization because I think it just depends upon the industry that you're in and the sector that you're in. Um, I mean, I do like what Brewdog have done and, and a couple of the other breweries though as well in terms of using their, their, their products and their resources to move it to the hand sanitizer market to meet that yeah. need. That, that's been really, really cool. Um, but, you know, from a charitable point of view, that's a great thing. Um, and, you know, maybe commercially down the line, it works for them. They have a whole number of nurses and doctors now drinking Brewdog because they remember who supported them through the crisis, you know? So, you know, there's a, you can argue there's a commercial piece at the back end of it, but, um, you know, and, I, and I'm not discounting Brewdog at all for that. I think that's a fantastic thing that they've done. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it just depends on businesses, regardless of where they are doing this, this type of work. And there are so many unsung heroes who are doing little things as well, who may not get seen in mainstream media. So, I'd implore the business community to highlight other businesses who have done great stuff because that empowers everyone. Um, so, yeah. And um, final uh, question here. What is one fact about you that people won't be able to find online, Joel? <laughs> um, despite my, oh God, I don't know if I should say this. Despite <laughs> my um, my journey into entrepreneurship and, and into fintech, um, when I was 14, um, I wanted to be a dance choreographer. Oh, nice. um, 
<laughs> and I, I, I used to do kind of little kind of street dance sessions in my local youth club and take part in dancing competitions. I used to think I was a, uh, a kind of young NC Hammer back in those, day, those days. But, uh, but yeah, um, needless to say, I could still dance, but I didn't go down that route. You know, I, I didn't open a dance studio. I don't have a chain of them. But, um, but yeah, I still love dancing. And I think, you know, the ability to express yourself outside of the day-to-day -day business, I think is important. Um, so yeah, I, I do like to dance in, now and again. <laughs> That's a nice note. There's still time, Joel. There's still time. Well, uh, I don't know. I was 40 a couple of weeks ago, so I don't know. Yeah, no, but my knee's clicking now, so. <laughs> no, thanks for that, Joel. I mean, th th those were the questions. I want to say really, really big, big thank you, uh, Joel. I think there's some really interesting insight uh, there. And thank you to our sponsors, uh, Perplex Marketing. So thank you again, Joel, and take care. No problem. And I'll speak again soon. Thank you. Uh, thank you.